1: Republicans in Congress have now brought forth their plan to change what we have known as the Affordable Care Act they say it will alleviate many of the issues that have popped up in the recent past and they have dubbed it the American Health Care Act to take a look at what is in this plan and what can be expected we We are joined on the phone by Catherine Hempstead, who's a senior advisor at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, also a Penn grad, and also being joined in just a second by uh, Bob Town, economics professor at the University of Texas at Austin. Catherine, great to have you on the show with us. Uh, We've got Bob as well. Great to have you as well, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. Great to have you both. So uh, I'm guessing you've had a chance to review some of the uh, the details of the plan released uh, by the uh, Republicans on Capitol Hill. Catherine, I'll start with you. What was your uh, general reaction?
2: Well, a lot of these things were kind of foreshadowed and some of the rumors that were swirling around before it finally dropped yesterday. Uh, you know, we see that the the tax credit now has a slight means testing to it, but you know, the amount that lower income people are gonna be able to get to help pay for their health care is is obviously gonna drop quite a bit. So I think that's you know, that's that's one of the first takeaways that that struck me.
1: Bob, how about yourself?
0: Yeah, I mean this is um, you know it I think there are kind of two ways to look at this. One way is is the Rand Paul way, which is kind of keeps a lot of the the structure of Obamacare in place. Right. He likes to call it Obamacare light. Um, but the other way is that it really changes kind of who is getting what from Obamacare. Um, in particular, it's moving uh, the benefits of Obamacare from the kind of older and sick to the younger and and healthy, uh, from the poor to uh, the richer. And so it is a pretty radical redistribution of kind of the benefits of Obamacare.
1: But when you think about it and you look at this, what – what do you think are, are are the possibilities for this? Is this something that could potentially work down the road, or is this going to need even some some further revision off of this point, Bob? Well,
0: it depends what you mean by work. Um, right, that's true too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I think you know the early estimates I've seen are you know 10 million people losing coverage yeah. uh, with this bill. Um, I think there's a good chance that kind of what we view are that state exchanges would um, largely unravel for a couple of reasons. I think the possibility of adverse selection is much much greater under this proposal, um, and the subsidies are are probably not going to be sufficient to keep the um, you know, enough people in the market um, to make the exchanges work. Um, and you know these are a little bit early guesses, but that those are kind of my impressions about the impact.
1: Catherine, what do you see as being the impact of this?
2: Well, I mean, I think some of the things that are probably going to start to happen is that members are going to get some estimates of what's going to happen to, you know, their constituents in terms of, you know, who's probably going to just drop out of the individual market, because I think there are going to be a lot of comparisons of tax credit amounts and people are going to realize just like Bob said that coverage numbers are going to drop a lot. And I also think that, you know, when this bill gets a score, I think people are going to realize that it actually costs a lot and doesn't really benefit that many people for what it costs. And I still think that there's going to be the possibility that if they really do get rid of the employer mandate and a lot of people a lot of employers drop offers, you're going to see tax credits being used by people who would have been covered anyway. So I kind of think, you know, you're going to potentially spread around a kind of, you know, thin tax credit pretty widely to people that aren't necessarily any better off than they would have been in the absence of it. And then so I feel like the, you know, you could sort of say the losers are going to lose more than the winners are going to win maybe. And I don't see how this bill pays for itself and how it doesn't end up costing a lot of money. So I think there's some some bad news that will come down the road. And I also don't see a a huge natural constituency for this bill, except for, you know, people in Congress who are in a very kind of weird situation trying to thread a needle, as Bob said.
1: Your comments about uh, what was uh, released by the uh, Republicans on Capitol Hill are welcome at 844 Wharton, 844 844-942-7866. Or if you're not able to get to your phone, then you can send us a comment, either uh, on Twitter, either at at bizradio, B-I-Z radio, one eleven, or you can use my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney L O N E Y twenty one. Uh, Medicaid is obviously uh, Catherine a, a big uh, kind of piece to uh, a lot of this process. The impact on, on Medicaid, you think, becomes uh, it ends up being what?
2: Uh, it's significant. I mean, yeah. I think the idea is the expansion will get frozen in twenty twenty. The program will turn into a per capita cap, which is surely going to result in less money, you know, less federal money for states to take care of the population. There's a lot of other changes, I think, that are in the in the weeds about eligibility determinations and how, you know, how states are going to, you know, be running their programs. And, and certainly, I think, um, you know, the idea that people that are not going to be eligible for the expansion are going to be able to make their way in the individual market with a $2,000 tax credit, you know, I think that there are going to be some, you know, some pretty big howls about that.
0: Bob? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I agree. The, the, you know, the key thing of the Medicaid, um, or, you know, um, the kind of block granting, I'll call it, a freezing of the Medicaid, um, you know, is in 2020. They kind of kick the can down the road. Um, and there's a good chance in, you know, 2021, 2022, that this is going to really lead to, you know, quite um, large increases in the uninsured population.
1: Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. We're talking with Bob Town of the University of Texas at Austin, Catherine Hempstead of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Your comments welcome right now. I, I find it interesting, Bob, that obviously this has been uh, bandied about for for quite some time, and really has been has been uh, rattled around the old plan, and now uh, obviously this plan is starting to get rattled around as well. When you compare and contrast these these two ideas. Is there a way to be able to try and almost find a, kind of a middle ground between the two to be able to make the cost more uh, effective and be able to make it effective for the insurers as well to be able to stay in a lot of these these plans going forward?
0: Well, you know, the first challenge is healthcare is expensive. Yeah. Um, and so there's just a large chunk of our population that can't afford, you know, health care, health insurance. Um, and, and that's the fundamental problem: that that healthcare is expensive, and ha- and a lot of people can't afford it. And so, in order to make it affordable, it means re- you know uh, putting in some sort of subsidies, some sort of uh, benefit package that's going to be p- expensive to provide. And, and given that kind of fundamental, it's going to be a very uh, challenging policy um, goal to achieve. Uh, just because it's going to require a lot of taxes, it's going to require um, a lot of government intervention to make it work. Um, and so that's going to set up quite a, a bit of tension between, you know, the Republican side who abhors that just general principle in, in most circumstances and the idea that there there's um, health care is something that, you know, should be widely available. And that's just a fundamental tension here.
1: So then, Catherine, is there a solution out there for all of these problems? <laughs>
2: Uh, you know, there's 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 no solution that everybody will agree on because yeah. I think there are a lot of you know there are a lot of values you know as Bob mentioned sort of at at play with with the the whole issue of healthcare which is why I think a lot of people consider it you know one of the most difficult areas of domestic policy because healthcare basically isn't affordable for lots of people. And there's always been a large public role in, in healthcare, you know, in in all places in the employer market, Medicare, Medicaid, the individual market. And it's a kind of a question of how, how the public and private dollars are combined and what's, you know, what's the combination that makes, you know, the most people the most satisfied and i think you know a lot of republicans felt like the the aca sort of tilted the subsidies too much toward the lower income population and left some people sort of confronting just the full-on unsubsidized cost of health care in the individual market which is you know which is truly, really high, and now I think a lot of people are going to say this pivots too far the other way, and you know really makes makes it completely unrealistic for a lot of people to afford health care and I think the the things that get brought up sometimes in the in the spinning of these plans is that they're gonna somehow dramatically reduce health care costs somehow and and usually what that means is that they're gonna allow people to to sell policies that have a much lower actuarial value which is really just changing the way the insurance is financed you know how much of it you're paying in your premium it doesn't really have anything to do with how much the healthcare costs and then the other thing that sometimes gets touted as a big solution is that if insurance companies could sell plans across state lines that was that would introduce all this competition and yeah. sort of reduce healthcare costs but i mean for so many reasons that i'm sure bob has rehearsed many times too i mean that's that's just not a promising path forward to try to accomplish that
1: well, well bob i was going to bring that up anyway and i guess let's let's revisit that just the the issues around uh you know trying to have uh selling across state lines
0: yeah i mean the the and, and you know it, it sounds like a great idea um that, you know, you, you just reduce a barrier, uh, a regulatory barrier, and that will kind of lead to a lot more entry and competition by plans. But the, the fundamental issue is that um, that barrier is not the main barrier for um, health insurers to enter a given market. The main barrier is that they have to set up a network of providers, um, you know, hospitals and physicians and, um, and you know, rehab facilities and all those kinds of things. And that's a really hard problem uh, to – to solve. It's a hard problem to, to put in to get together a network like that. And it's a little bit of a chicken and egg problem is that you can't really set up a good network without having enrollment and you can't really have enrollment without a good network. And and that's the fundamental problem that insurers face in entering any, any market.
1: And to be able to try and do that, you're, you're not just talking uh, weeks and months, you're probably talking years to be able to try and even come close to doing something like that, correct?
0: Yeah, yeah, this is not something that, you know, because you need to have enrollment to get kind of good uh, rates from providers, it takes a long time to kind of build that up in order to build, you know, to have this kind of uh, virtuous cycle of enrollment to better networks and better networks to enrollment, and that just takes time.
1: Bob Town joins us from the University of Texas at Austin, Catherine Hempstead from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Your comments welcome at 844 Wharton, 844 942 7866 is the number to give us a call. I guess the interesting thing Catherine from the political side of this is, is that this does not appear to be a slam dunk in any way shape or form going forward. Uh just moving through as I, B- bob alluded to, the you know the Rand Paul side of things uh, there seems to be some people that that don't believe that even this is so something that is a good thing to push forward.
2: I think that's right. And I think there's potential for a lot of defection from both the right and the left side. I mean, I think there are, there are going to be people like Rand Paul and the, the House Freedom Caucus, you know, that are going to say that this, the fact that there are refundable tax credits in this proposal makes it, you know, too much redistribution, too much like Obamacare. But then I think that there are going to be some kind of grim statistics that are going to get brought around that I think are going to affect some people, you know, across the board, but especially the more moderate members that are going to start to realize like what's going to happen to their constituents if this were really put into effect. So I think that there are, you know, uh, some serious hazards on both sides. On the other hand, I think that there's enormous pressure on the Republicans to pass something like this because I think it's sort of a now or never moment for them. So I'm kind of curious to see whether they're going to sort of hold hands and jump as some people Describe it and throw some of these cautions to the wind, or whether they're just going to get sort of mired in a lot of, um, you know, interparty struggle.
1: Well, Bob, I mean, obviously they've been talking about this for several years now, and it's almost they've they've been waiting to have a Republican uh, Congress and a, and a Republican in the White House to be able to to pull the trigger on this. Uh, it, it does seem, though, that even having thought about this for six years, there are still some things that, as you have both have alluded to, that they're still missing on that uh, that that are not. Not uh, really formulated well enough to to work down the road.
0: Yeah, it's you know in the bill it's not clear what problem they're trying to solve exactly. Um, You know others have made that point, but other than to kind of put something out there that's different than Obamacare and different enough, the problem with that kind of approach is that you know Obamacare was pretty uh, carefully thought through, and the parts of it kind of inter interlink. Uh, and support one another. And so when you start tweaking one aspect of it, uh, for example, the individual mandate, um, other parts can start to fall apart on you, like the exchanges, and you can have you know, uh, adverse selection death spirals. And so at the end of the day, since they're not kind of seem to be directly solving a specific problem with um, with Obamacare, that it, it leads to this proposal, that um, this bill that, that um, seems... To be the goal is to be something different enough from Obamacare, right. and, and since it's not kind of thought through, at least to, it seems to me, in, in kind of a systematic way, that that um, the Republicans may be stuck with a, a bill that will lead to just a massive problems, um, you know, and and uh, and they'll be stuck with you know trying to I think that's explain why they have th- these huge you know disenrollments and exchanges falling apart and people paying a lot more for less coverage.
1: Catherine.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's such a great point, because I think that we're in such a kind of a weird place that almost by definition, the kind of bill that can satisfy all the, the elements of the party is going to be one where I feel like there isn't really a natural constituency for it in the real world or, you know, people that are really going to benefit other than, you know, tanning parlor owners and there's a couple, you know, <laughs> small wins. But I think, I think it's exactly right. I mean, it, it's going to hurt a lot of people. It's going to help you know, moderately a, a smaller number of people, it's going to cost a lot of money. And I don't think that, you know, in out there in the real world that there's, there's an obvious reason for this for this bill. So
1: then, and then let me ask you this, then, with your experience and, and looking at, at both sides of this, then, what are some of the things that you probably would have liked to have seen come forward if there were going to be either tweaks made off of the Affordable Care Act or you were going to move a little bit further away from that, Catherine?
2: Well, I mean, I think that, you know, it would have been it, – it is easy to make a case that the, you know, that the current ACA subsidy scale is a little austere for people over 400 percent of poverty, i.e. that they don't get any subsidies and there, you know, there's some – very big figures that people have to look at that are buying health insurance at that income level. So I think an idea of, you know, smoothing the subsidies, you know, I think many people wanted to increase the total amount of the subsidies, but to redistribute, if you had to, the subsidies a little bit to make things um, a little bit more palatable and get... You know get more people in the market that were in the higher income i think that's something a lot of people had some you know some sympathy for and felt like that was that was an issue i think many people thought it would be better not to take money away from lower income people but just increase the amount of subsidies but i think that 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 isn't a crazy thing to think about i know lots of people have talked about the age band and said that you know there there are some things to think about there with you know three to one being maybe a little bit low So I think that those are things that people were willing to have reasonable conversations about. Um, I also think that some of the uh, special enrollment issues and the third-party issues and some of the things that were addressed in the recent proposed rule had a lot of bipartisan support. So I think there were certainly some ways to shore up the way the market was working. But I I think that, um, you know, the things that we see in in this bill are, you know, going to, just really sort of gut out a lot of parts of the market with you know out without really having offsetting benefits,
1: Bob, what would you have like to have seen?
0: Well, I agree with everything Catherine said there um, you know and, and just to highlight a couple of things one is that the cost of um, you know the ACA is much lower than forecasted, uh, partly because the premiums are lower in, than they forecasted, which led to lower subsidies right. um, and so that's kind of. And, and that happened kind of, I think, in large part through kind of weird strategic interactions between the insurers. And that starved uh, the um, the market of some important money. And that's kind of, you know, what mm-hmm. there needs to be put in place is a little bit more, you know, fix that subsidy system so that um, it, it can be profitable for insurers to offer coverage uh, on the exchanges, uh, at least for a majority of insurers to offer uh uh, products on the exchanges instead of just a handful, uh, the way it is today.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I think the individual mandate is super unpopular. Um, yeah. There's an economic reason to have it there, and and, and that's sound, uh, but I think it's super unpopular, and you could probably um, uh, address that issue by, as Catherine was saying, uh, changing the age bands and you know making sure that the subsidies are, are for the kind of healthy young are sufficient enough that they would just voluntarily uh, choose a plan.
1: Yeah, because losing, and according to the reports, I should say, losing a lot of the younger people and not having them kind of uh, get involved in the uh, in the health insurance marketplace to begin with, how, how much of an impact was that actually the, that you're hearing from, from people in the industry, Bob?
0: I think, I mean, that was an impact, but I think the bigger impact is that the people who signed up uh, were sicker and had just yep. hadn't had health care in a long time. And right. so when they had health insurance, they were high utilizers. And so the cost of providing, uh, insurance to those folks was much higher than people thought.
1: So even, even having the numbers of, of younger people, uh, millennials on the, on the roles that a lot of people would have liked to have seen that, that would have impacted the cost a little bit, but because of that, that overuse on the other end, the cost still would have been fairly high
0: yeah I think that's probably I don't know if we know exactly for sure how that the balance is out um, but that's my impression yeah
2: yeah, I Catherine. It's different. I think it it probably varies a bit market to market. But I I agree with Bob. I just want to you know emphasize the fact that the the individual mandate seemed like something that was just politically untenable. And you know even as we as we've observed it in action, it hasn't been you know completely effective anyway. Because as we mentioned, we've had a lot of a lot you know a lot of take up problems in certain populations. So. Really, really, tightening up the special enrollment periods, even though some people say that you know that that has its own problems because there are you know it there's a lot of healthy enrollees and that that can't come on, but you know kind of creating disincentives for people to sign up for health insurance when they want to use health care services and, you know, continuous coverage is, you know, maybe not preferred by everyone to the mandate, but it, it does, you know, it does create an impetus for people to get insured and stay insured. And basically, yep. most people want to have health insurance. So, I, you know, I think that some of those um, proposals could have counteracted getting rid of the mandate but I think that was something that was you know kind of an iconic aspect of the ACA that that you know had to be part of any repeal proposal.
1: the, the president has already reacted to this as he wants to do via Twitter uh, he throws out the the, the line about how uh, these plans are going to uh, work to bring costs way down. Uh, Catherine, when you hear that type of uh, of line from the president, Uh, Your reaction is what?
2: My reaction is that I can't think of any aspect of this proposal that would bring the cost way down. I mean, it's going to bring the cost of health insurance down to some people who now get a tax credit. It's going to bring the cost way up to some people who are going to get much less of a tax credit. The the essential health benefits are not being altered. So what the the coverage that's required by these plans is going to stay the same. There can be more... um, you know more variation with the actuarial values so that really relates to just how the plan is financed you know yeah. it doesn't have anything to do with what health care actually costs and there's nothing about this that's going to change provider prices or prescription drug prices so you know i i have to say that i'm not seeing it
0: bob i absolutely agree i, I don't see it either i mean the the um you know everybody wants to bring down the cost of health care except maybe you know physicians and hospitals because they, right they, they benefit from having high costs <laughs> right. of health care. But, but that's a very hard, hard problem partly because um, you know there's a lot of technology in, in healthcare care that's very expensive to, to provide and uh, providers have some bargaining leverage um, and, uh, and those two things are not going to be affected by, by this this bill.
1: And obviously, when you speak of that, the not, the levels of innovation we're seeing in healthcare in general, those costs are going to continue to to uh, to circulate higher. They're not going to even level out, are they, Bob?
0: Well, I, yeah, I don't think so. And, you know, and, and I, I would highlight that that oftentimes, increase in cost of healthcare is a signal of of good things in the sense of that right. we're getting new treatments and, that are beneficial. Um, and you know, the the cheapest healthcare is having none, right? So. You know th- that's uh, that's really cheap to provide, but that doesn't provide much value to, to people who are ill. Um, and, and so, um, but but so reducing costs here, it's just I, I, it's not going to happen, and it really didn't happen. Um, and I think with the
1: ACA either. Great to have you both with us. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Bob. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thanks.
0: For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.